So, um, I don't know. I've debated whether or not to share this or or whatever. But um, this weekend has been such a revelatory weekend for me personally. Just like I don't know. Sometimes when you just get like those fire hoses, right? Um, but it all kind of started with lecture five. Me and my mom were uh, really deep diving it, picking it apart yesterday. And uh, I was just getting like so nervous. I was like, how do we even cover this? Because this was my main trepidation for even studying the lectures with, with a group. I was just like, it, this is some heavy stuff and there's some, some deepness to it that, uh, I don't know, how do, you, how do you broach it with lots of different um, levels and experiences of, of people and bringing them all together on this one subject? Um, and anyway, you know, like lecture five. This is the one that, that Joseph Smith wrote. It's what causes them to become decanonized later on. And um, there's such powerful truths listed in here. Anyway, I was just kind of freaking out. <laughs> and um, uh, as we were studying, uh, both me and my mom just fell asleep. We were just caught away, I guess. But um, I had like one of the most profound dreams that I think I've ever had. It was the closest that I've ever come to like lucid dreaming. Like I was fully in it and um in charge of the the dream anyway so i'm i'm gonna share it even though i probably won't in any of the other groups they'll have to come to this one <laughs> if they want to see it. but it, it has to deal with this and um anyway so there was this young white-haired almost kind of a hippie guy and he was leading a group of initiates through an endowment session of sorts the lights came on after a period of teaching and everyone was really confused. He expounded the principle to us and we were all so amazed, frustrated that we didn't have anything to write it down or take notes or, or anything. And we started saying things like, okay, you memorize that part, I'll memorize this part and we'll get together in the dressing room and so we can get this all written down and recorded. And he gave us the most profound speech that that is not how light and revelation works. It's not meant to be written and recorded verbatim except when given as scripture. And he gave us the advice to let the light penetrate you in an instant, record your feelings so that you don't forget that the event happened. But light and knowledge is supposed to fade for us mortals, but not to worry, our spirits retain all of it. That knowledge is restored when and where we need it. You'll gain everything you need to know in that moment. Your physical body can only handle so much, but your spirit as a vessel holds the rest for when your body catches up. I can't even put into words how pure and simple the doctrinal truth was received by the initiates there in that group, but we all got it and we were filled with immense light. We were able to experience a future portion of this as a group collectively. I mean, we we're just in that moment there and we fully understood what he meant by that. In the dream, I knew that my mortal body was studying lectures on faith or lecture fifth and that it was so pure that many Physical bodies might not receive all of it yet, but not to worry that their spirit will, but how we're all meant to be in the same endowment, viewing and receiving it together right now. All learning and knowledge timing is orchestrated by the Lord. I don't know. It, it, it was really profound, and it kind of seems almost silly <laughs> saying that, uh, that, that dream or whatever, but um, I think that there is such profound teachings and doctrine here in lecture fifth that I hope that we can all even if we have a wrestle with it that we can all know that our spirits are receiving it 
and that when our bodies are, are ready to, that we can fully comprehend the, the vast scope of, of what's here. Because as, as we find out, especially here in a couple of weeks when we uh, talk about the decanonization, this is, this is where rubber meets the road. And it, <laughs> you're frozen and precious principles here. If Joseph Smith, who received the pattern and was able to, to pierce the veil and commune with deity, trying to teach that to others, what does he say at the end of this lecture? Now commit it to memory. This is so powerfully pure that it may not be understood fully, but, but don't worry. If it's not, come back to it later. Revisit it. Keep revisiting it as the Lord keeps teaching you different principles and, and things. But, but whatever you do, not to just throw it in the dumpster. <laughs> kind of thing. Beautiful. Thank you. All right. <laughs> yeah. So um I wanted there's gonna be a lot of screen sharing. So sorry, Leslie, you'll have to come back <laughs> magnify the glass later. I packed an extra pair of glasses. Uh-huh. I opened up the glasses case. Empty. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't want you to have them. <laughs> oh. So kind of rehashing because there's going to be a quiz at the end, right? <laughs> what the difference is between a characteristic, an attribute, and a perfection. Uh, I believe we talked about this last time. If not, here's my chart. Um, but without a, a sure foundation of what these three things are, I think that verse two in lecture fifth is going to be kind of lost. And so it's so crucial to have lecture third, lecture fourth under our belt in order to, to proceed into lecture five. So a characteristic is, is something that which distinguishes a person or thing from another. And so in lecture five, we're going to be talking about the Godhead <laughs> and we're gonna be distinguishing what's different and what's similar and, and talking a lot about characteristics, but we're also going to be talking a lot about attributes things that are belonging to or inherent in as power and wisdom are attributes of a supreme being. A perfection is like an attribute. It's an inherent or essential attribute of supreme or infinite excellence. So you take an attribute and you put it in its perfect or supreme state, and that's what a perfection is. So an example is infinite power, whereas an attribute is just power, or infinite wisdom, whereas the attribute alone is just wisdom. And so um, verse one here in lecture five says, in the former lectures, we treated on the being character, perfections, and attributes of God. What we mean by perfections is the perfections which belong to all the attributes of his nature. So let's dive in. Lecture fifth. There is so much here. Anyway, any comments, questions, um, ponderings that, that you have based upon lecture fifth as you've read and, and pondered it this last week? Um, anything you want to start out with before we, because I, I think we're just going to go word by word. <laughs> There's a lot here. But anyway, just kind of opening it up for, for comments or questions before we dive in. 
no, that's totally fine. Um, I experienced a lot of adversity this week, which shows just <laughs> the, <laughs> the importance of it. Yep. So, oh, I, I think that that's a true principle. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I've tried to break this down chiastically, color code things and stuff. So hopefully it's not too much of a <laughs> gumbo on the screen, but um, I, it'll all make sense as we, we process through it. But everything on my screen that is in yellow is something that's just on one of these comments off to the side. So kind of ignore the yellow and just pay attention to the other colors when you're comparing like things to each other. <clears throat> I wish I could change that and just have it like underlined or something, but anyway, I'm not that adept with <laughs> Google Sheets. So I find it interesting that we have basically two main chiasms and lots of little parallelisms in between. So the first chiasm seems to start with the very first sentence saying that there are two personages who constitute the great matchless governing supreme power over all things by whom all things were created and made and that are created and made. And then it comes down in the middle and says, after talking about how there's the same mind, that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit are one, or in other words, it then it repeats the first sentence there. These three, not just the two, these three constitute the great matchless governing and supreme power over all things, by whom all things were created and made that were created and made. Mm. And these three constitute the Godhead and are one. So what is the difference between these two stanzas or sentences here? Because here it says there's three people and here, whoops, sorry. And here there's only two. So what's the difference? There's one key word and that's personage. So what is a personage? I, all of these definitions that are on the side are, are I'm pulling from the, the Webster's Dictionary, 1920 or 1828. A is a man or a woman of distinction as an illustrious personage, but it's an exterior appearance, stature, air, uh, as a tall personage, a stately personage. So we're talking about ones that have bodies, right? Versus, I mean, we know that the Godhead is, is three distinct individuals. <laughs> But two of them have bodies, whereas the, the others, whereas the Holy Spirit does not, right? And so I think that that's a, a key point in distinguishing the first half of lecture fifth versus the second half of lecture fifth. And I don't know, I, sorry if I'm like just trying to like teach too much, like feel free to jump in with any comments <laughs> or anything, because I'm just in on almost teacher mode sorry <laughs> hey Cameron I thought last week was um spectacular and you were in teacher mode so I know that Gilbert <laughs> told you to be like a, a facilitator or whatever but I I think oh. this is the exception to the rule on these <laughs> yeah I, I try to steer away from it but um <laughs> all right so a, a couple other um, definitions here. Supreme. Uh, we seen that when we were looking at the, the definitions of attribute versus perfection. An attribute, when taken to its supreme version, becomes a perfection. And so um, kind of taking that here, 
and looking at the governing and supreme power over all things. I think that that's highly important as we, we take a look at that. But looking at the definition of just supreme, it's the highest in authority and how closely authority and power are linked together. It says holding the highest place in government or power. Um, it's the highest, greatest, or most excellent as supreme love, supreme glory, and supreme degree. Anyway, I found that definition very helpful as we were going through it. And then which things does it have? Uh, like these two personages, they have a supreme power over what things? All things. And so I find that very interesting as we take a look at the rest of, of lecture fifth here, that, um, that both have supreme power over all things. Yet there is a condescension and a propitiation that happens with one of them. So anyway, we'll, we'll kind of come back to that, that principle there. Um, I found it very interesting taking a look at um, the two little, I guess, sentences right after the repeatedness. Uh, here we have this one and, and after here, um, this other one. Anyway, we'll dive into them. Sorry, I'm not great with words today. But it says, by whom all things were created and made that were created and made, whether visible or invisible. And that really pulled me into the idea of like DNC 131, right? That there is no such thing as immaterial matter. All spirit is matter, but it is more fine and pure and can only be discerned by purer eyes. We cannot see it, but when our bodies are purified, we shall see that it is all matter. And so that really helped me kind of put in context. Um, some of this supreme power that they're talking about. And it says, whether in heaven or on earth or un in the earth, under the earth, or throughout the immensity of space. And, and again, I'm trying to do like word links like crazy, right? I'm not trying to just be super nerdy. <laughs> but it brought me back to the instructions for the School of the Prophets. In DNC 88, 78, and 79, the Lord told them what they needed to study. He gave them the curriculum for the school of the prophets and pay attention to this list versus the list given by the lord and what's different about it anyway it says teach ye diligently and my grace shall attend you that you may be instructed more perfectly in theory principle and doctrine in the law of the gospel in all things that pertain unto the kingdom of god that are expedient for you to understand and here's where it it starts um comparing here of things both in heaven and in the earth, and under the earth. That's the extent of it. There's three different points. But here in lecture fifth, Joseph expands on it and says whether in heaven, which is similar to here, in heaven, on the earth, on the earth is not included in the original instructions. In the earth, that's similar. Under the earth, similar. And then it says throughout the immensity of space. So it takes three things and turns them into five here in lecture fifth. I think that five is an important number when we're dealing with this power of the Godhead. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into like number symbolism uh, again, but um, I think that that's <clears throat> interesting how it's getting multiplied and added upon. Wait a second. You can't leave us hanging on five. Sorry, what was that? You can't leave us hanging on five. 
Well, we see like the number three, right? Being um, kind of like the Godhead, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and um, kind of the the aspect of um, of the heavens or of uh, unity. But when we take it to the number five, five is usually a number of power, um, sometimes associated with ironic power. Um, uh, eight being Melchizedek power, but um, when we're taking three, and, and here we're seeing two personages that we're taking the, the three power and making it into five, um, I think that it is pointing at the same principle of the distinction between an attribute and a perfection. Taking the three and adding some power to it, putting it in its supreme state if that makes sense. Uh, and, and I think that'll become clearer as we uh, kind of finish the chiasm and bring it all home there. But um, there's an important aspect of numbers in this lecture that aren't really present in the other ones. Um, this one deals a lot with numbers. That's super cool. Okay, so can you give one more example of five? Where, I mean, I, I understand three and I understand seven and... Uh-huh, yeah, so five... Um, uh, often is the the marks of the atonement, right? Uh, we have okay, the two wounds in the hands, two wounds in the feet, and the one in the side. Um, mm -hmm. That power is born from death, um, that there is a descent that needs to happen before an ascent can happen. Um, so we take a three and we take it into its descent, five, so that it can rise and become a seven, if that makes sense. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you for taking time on that. Mm -hmm. And Cameron, on that uh, created and made all things, and it goes whether visible or invisible. Uh, that makes me think um, things created spiritually and physically. Is mm -hmm. that what that's referring to there? I think it definitely can, yeah. Because it does talk about the spiritual and physical later on. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that lines up chiastically where here we have visible, visible, invisible, and later on we have spiritual physical. Um, I hadn't put those together yet, but uh, I, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's see. And they, throughout the immensity of space, they are the father and the son. And so now we have two paragraphs. Uh, one's the, the first one's really short about the father, and then we have the son. Um, so that um, it's basically taking lecture third, and um, sorry if the scrolling gets annoying, <laughs> but lecture third deals with the characteristics, right? That which distinguishes a person or thing from another. And so that's what lecture five is all about. It's trying to pull these people apart and put them back together again in its proper sequence. It's taking our traditions or our incorrect thoughts of deity, pulling them apart, and then putting them back together properly so that we can um, have a good perspective on it. Um, so here we have the, the father being a personage of spirit, glory, and power, possessing all perfection and fullness. And the son, who has all of these other things, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. You'll you'll see this color combination again down here, and it 
it just amplifies it and really uh, accentuates um, this little part of the father in a second. But for now, we're going to talk about this. Let's see. Yeah, the father being a personage of spirit, glory, and power. So there's three different characteristics here that um, it's naming, which is interesting because um, all mortal births include three things, spirit, water, and blood. And all things are symbolically present at every ordinance because every ordinance typifies a death and a rebirth. And so um, I have to wonder if that's what it's pointing at here with these three, because we're talking about a personage and what that personage consists of, it consists of three different things. And so spirit, water, and blood, uh, that would be another rabbit hole to, <laughs> to dive into uh, at a later time. But I, I think that that's very significant here. <clears throat> and we have the son who was in the bosom of the father. And I think that we can read that many different ways, right? In the bosom, like, oh, he was, you know, uh, a child and, and his father held him even in, in the, the pre-mortality kind of thing. But I would pose that a possible deeper meaning, if we contrast this phrase in the bosom of the father with the woman being formed from the rib of Adam. And I think that will help us deepen our understanding of what the rib represents. Um, because, again, we're, we're taking the father and the son, these two personages, they're the, the creators. We're trying to pull them apart and, and look at their characteristics before we put them back together again. Uh, likewise, Adam and Eve are, are pulled apart before they're married and, and told to become one flesh again. <clears throat> look at the job that that satan has done <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> he's a tricky one wow what distortion mm. oh yeah in the chat sorry <laughs> in this view like it, it rarely pops up here but um uh janet said that there are actually seven marks of the savior if you count the sure signs in the wrist which is Perfect. I love that. Um, because we, we normally talk about it in Christianity as the, the five marks of, of stigmata. But yes, seven. I mean, if we're actually thinking about it, that um, the, the sureness of it, like, again, we take the three, we, we take it into a descent of five, and then it is exalted or ascents um, on that seven principle as a, as a sure um, sign and witness. I love that. Thanks for bringing that out. Um, let's see. So in the bosom of the father. And so here, a personage of tabernacle. So we're contrasting just right back to back the personage of spirit, glory, and power. And here we have the son who is a personage of tabernacle. Tabernacle almost always refers to a mortal body rather than a resurrected body. And so, um, fashioned like unto man, being in the form and likeness of man, or rather, man was formed after his likeness and in his image. He is also the express image and likeness of the personage of the Father. So, um, 
anyway, I've, I, I ran out of colors, um, but I've, I've put this in italics, but here we talk about it three different times in this lecture, the express image and likeness. And um, I want to come back to that one, but um, that it's not the exact, or is it? The, what does express mean? Um, let, let's actually express, to utter, to write, to represent. Okay, so to represent, to exhibit by copy or resemblance, to represent or show by imitation or the imitative arts to form a likeness as in a painting or sculpture. So it's not the exact thing, but a likeness of it. Um, copied, <laughs> bearing an exact representation. That's an interesting uh, point of looking at it. So just kind of pondering on that. The express image and likeness of the personage of the father. So he's possessing all the fullness of the father, or in other words, it's interesting how Joseph Smith says something, and then he's always trying to clarify himself by saying, or, or in other words, or another way to put this. <laughs> so he's possessing all the fullness of the father or the same fullness with the father <clears throat> being begotten of him and was ordained from before the foundation of the world to be a propitiation for the sins of all those who should believe on his name. So propitiation may or may not be a familiar term for you. So I, I looked that one up. Um, it is the act of appeasing wrath or consolating the favor of an offended person, the act of making propitious. In theology, the atonement or atoning sacrifice offered to God to assuage his wrath or the law of justice, right? Render him propitious to sinners. Christ is the propitiation for the sins of men. <clears throat> so my question off of that is, it's talking about him being ordained from the foundation of the world to do one thing. But we know that he came to do two things, right? He came to conquer death and hell. So why only list hell? Does he not come to rescue us from death itself? And, and how do we navigate the rest of the um, lecture five here in, in that kind of a sense? So that one's just kind of a, a question, just kind of leave hanging. We'll, we'll kind of come back to it. Uh, after we get through all of the, the lecture, I think I'm going to come back through all of these questions again and see if we have answers for them kind of a thing. Um, who should believe on his name and is called the son because of the flesh. And he descended in suffering below that which man can suffer, or in other words, suffered greater sufferings, and it was exposed to more powerful contradictions than any man can be. Now, I have a lot of comments <laughs> on these ones, as you can see. So descended in suffering, does this not give you a greater insight having went through Isaiah decoded and the descent ascent pattern, right? He descended in suffering below that which man can suffer. So is this only the atonement? And let's pay attention to which things does this lecture specify are outside of the capabilities of man and which things are inside their capacity. So it says here, he descended below that which man can suffer. So man cannot suffer to the extent that he suffered. He suffered greater sufferings. 
and was exposed to more powerful contradictions than man can be. But here's the thing that I think sometimes we may have an incorrect understanding of, and that is the law of God. And because um, it, it talks about that it is in the power of man to keep this law. So, okay, let me start back up here again and, and read this whole part here. Anyway, and descended in suffering below that which man can suffer, or in other words, suffered greater sufferings, and was exposed to more powerful contradictions than any man can be. But notwithstanding this, like we're, we're switching gears here, he kept the law of God and remained without sin, showing thereby that it is in the power of man to keep the law and remain without sin, and also that by him a righteous judgment might come upon all flesh. And that all who walk not in the law of God may justly be condemned by the law and have no excuse for their sins. So what does that mean? Like, I think that that's so interesting that they're taking, well, Joseph Smith is, is taking one principle and saying, this is what Christ did that is beyond the scope of, of humanity. But this is not. He kept the law. And what is the law of God? The law is to be perfect, to remain without sin. So, I mean, is that somewhat contrary to what I've thought, <laughs> like all growing up? Like, I, I don't know. I, I always thought that that was totally outside the scope of mankind, that no one's ever going to be perfect. No one can ever come close to it. Christ is the only one that, that does that because he kept the law. But this sentence hits me like a ton of bricks because he kept the law and remained without sin showing thereby that it is in the power of man to keep the law and remain also without sin how do we reconcile that like any thoughts questions i think that that is kind of the the whole center of lecture five here that um everything kind of crescendos to to this point um and Likewise, this is one of the, the main principles or uh, reasons that this was decanonized. Um, many said that Joseph Smith recanted his words later and, uh, you know, he, he learned better. He was just operating off what he, he had at the time. But I just don't know. I, I, this is so poetically captured and... Uh, put in here and joseph smith has memorized this so anyway any thoughts on on what this means what it what kind of law is it to remain without sin and how is that within our power as man this doesn't answer your question but um i'm sitting here thinking the natural man's an enemy to God and has been. So is that a choice? <laughs> I don't know. I've never thought of that before. So anyways, there's a little mm -hmm. what's going through my mind right now. Yeah. Can yeah. I piggyback on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, golly. Somewhere on my paper. I can write okay. I just can't read <laughs> 
it says, uh, let self die, meaning the natural man. Are we willing to let ourself die? And um, that means we have a choice because it said let. Um, are, we, are we willing to? Um, and the fact that we, our natural man goes back down in the water every week. Um, I was um, at the, when Becky was talking, I was thinking about, where is it? I think it's in Doctrine and Covenants, I think that says that, um, oh, I, I can't remember it. I sh I'm gonna put it on my wall when I find it, or if you know what it is, where, um, um, that God, it's though that when we keep the commandments or um, we seeketh so to do. Mm -hmm. And and it's the when we when we want to, even when we're failing, we are pleasing the Lord. Does that ring a bell? That scripture? Do you mm -hmm. know what it is? I, I don't know what the reference is, but yeah, it's ringing a bell. So I'm wondering if it's not the actuality of because you know we're doing it all through Christ, but that's still not really an answer, but that's what I thought. Yeah, I love that. Uh, L in the, the chat says faith unto repentance. And so um, this principle of, of repentance, of, of death, of natural man, being willing to, being willing to die on, on a certain level, right? And having that faith that we that, that God can pull us up to his level if we will willing, be willing to leave that all behind. And, you know, like, what does repentance mean with metanoeo and, and President Nelson's uh, help uh, defining that word, right? Remember the story about the old man that would jump off the cliff? I think this was a real story. Into the water and it would... Um, it would take him down and then, but then it would pop him back up and how these young men were all, it was like cliff diving type of thing, I think. And, and there was young men that would do it and they would be fighting against the, the downward pull <clears throat> and they saw him do it and they talked with him. And he says, you just need to let it, it, you're fighting against it. And so I think our natural man's the same way. We're fighting against, because um, you know, <laughs> that's a scary feeling to be pulled down and and wondering until you know that you're gonna come come back up. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I love that example. It illustrates <laughs> it really well. Um, so, taking a look at. Where am I in the text? Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, this law right here, right? So oftentimes, I mean, oftentimes, every time throughout lectures on faith, faith can be substituted by power. Power equals faith, faith equals power. So showing that thereby, that it is in the power of man or within the capacity of man's faith to keep the law and remain without sin. So uh, let's see, do I want to, yeah, let's, let's do this, this question first. So how did he keep the law of God? 
what is the law? We know that the law is to be perfect. Um, we where do we learn that in um, Matthew five forty eight is when he establishes or reiterates what God's law really is: be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So how did he keep that? Uh, we see throughout the uh, New Testament exactly how he kept it. Um, so my question that I, I've kind of started before, but, you know, I, I don't expect an answer and I could be totally wrong, but which level of the ladder, we're talking Isaiah's ladder to heaven, was Christ on during his mortal ministry? And which law is he operating under? And so, I don't know, just kind of batting around um, some things here. The highest level for this mortal probation is seraphim, right? I mean, uh, Isaiah's letter to heaven makes it very clear. Mortals, highest seraphim, we're not to a Jehovah. That, that's for later on as we um, grow and become gods, right? But we can become seraphim. And I, I'm just posing this question. Is perfection a law on that level? And is receiving a fullness a part of that process on that level? As we know, seraphim are translated beings. They, they operate in, uh, they go from telestial to terrestrial. And how perfection is, I mean, uh, going from uh, Triumph of Zion and studying all of that, um, I think that that's an interesting thing to think about. So my thoughts is that this whole lecture is trying to convince us that we are capable of living this law receiving the fullness and being perfect while in this life, if it's what we want. It's all about agency, right? But when our Savior tells us in Matthew 5, 48, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, that I, I, yes, we can get mired down in perfectionism, and we we do need the counsel of Elder Holland, right? Be perfect eventually. Like, don't get so mired down in that thought that you can't even function and, and focus uh, wherever you're at right now, but that it is still a possibility for this life. And so just kind of reading this again, notwithstanding all this, he suffered greater sufferings. These are things that man cannot do, and we needed a God to do this for us. But notwithstanding all this, he kept the law of God and remained without sin, showing thereby that it is within the power of man or within the capacity of man's faith to keep the law and remain also without sin. And also that by him a righteous judgment might come upon all flesh, and that all who walk not in the law of God may justly under the law of justice, be condemned by the law and have no excuse for their sins. I think that that's a very powerful principle as it is starting to kind of wrap up how the Father and the Son are different. And, and now we're going to start putting them back together and on a higher level with the Holy Spirit. It says, and he being the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and having overcome, received a fullness of the glory of the Father, possessing the same mind with the Father, which mind is the Holy Spirit. 
that bears record of the Father and the Son, and these three are one, or in other words, these three constitute the great, matchless, governing, and supreme power over all things, by whom all things were created and made, that were created and made, and these three constitute the Godhead and are one. <clears throat> so here, I think it's interesting how it delineates time. So he being the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is during his mortal ministry, right? Being the only begotten of the Father, he's full of grace and truth. But after having overcome, so this is after the atonement. So before the atonement, grace and truth. After the atonement, he received a fullness of the glory of the Father. So my question is, why does it point this out? He receives the fullness of the glory after having overcome, possessing the same mind with the Father, which mind is the Holy Spirit. Is that also after? I don't know. That, it's an interesting question, but I think that this whole second part dives into that answer for us. Would the, the would the resurrection be included in that in the overcoming? Uh huh. Yeah. So atonement, resurrection, like all of that, having overcome the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay. <clears throat> At least that's my opinion. Um. So I think that that's a very interesting statement, isn't it? That the, the same mind with the Father, which mind is the Holy Spirit. So we're going to see that Joseph really pulls that and, and hits it home. That mind and spirit is the same. And, and we're not talking the spirit of Christ. We're talking the spirit of God being the Holy Spirit. So um, we do have to kind of not forget what we've learned from John Pontius because it's talking about the same thing, but we're using a little bit different language. Um, and so kind of put that on a back burner for a second because you'll, you'll fully understand it once we get here. But when we're talking the Holy Spirit here, we're talking Holy Spirit of the Father, not the Holy Spirit of Christ. <clears throat> so the Father and Son... Okay, we're talking about the Godhead, their one, the Father and Son possessing the same mind, the same wisdom, glory, power, and fullness, filling all in all. And so here's where the pop quiz comes in. <laughs> with, with A, B, and C here, we're, we're listing off lots of different words that describe deity, right? And my question is, are these characteristics are they perfections or are they attributes as defined by the other lectures? I think it's so crucial that we have a firm foundation in lectures third and fourth before we tackle <clears throat> the second part of five. And so what, what are these? Mind, glory, power, kingdom. Like, let me just come back up to this list of characters, perfections, and attributes here. Which ones do they kind of fit in? The, um, this first column is the characteristics, that he was God, that he's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, changes not, he's the same, he's without variation, he's a God of truth and cannot lie, no respecter of persons, and he's love. 
his attributes are knowledge, faith, power, justice, judgment, mercy, and truth. And the perfections are just the perfect or supreme versions of each of those. So what are these ones? Mind, glory, and power. I would pose that they seem to be attributes of the deity. And so what does that make the spirit? Here, let me read these three. Um, it's not necessarily a parallelism. Well, I guess it is because it's just repeating it, but it's normally twice, but here it's doing it three times so that we get um, this substitution. This is the, the holy math <laughs> of God, the algebra. So the sun being filled with the fullness of the mind, glory, and power. And here we have everything the same, glory and power, but the mind gets switched to the spirit. So A plus B plus C, we're, we're just substituting out A and keeping B and C the same here, right? And here we're going to, to take it a step further. Possessing all knowledge, which is also synonymous with the spirit and the mind. We keep glory constant throughout all of this, which is essential. And that power gets changed to kingdom with a, a clarifier sitting at the right hand of power. Again, that kingdom of power here. So I think it's so interesting that Joseph Smith is just hitting this message home all throughout the, the second half here. That yes, there are two personages of the Godhead, but when Christ overcomes, he receives the same mind with the Father, which mind is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, they now become and constitute this Godhead. The Son being filled with the fullness of the mind. So if this is an if these are attributes, then the mind is an attribute. And what have we learned from lecture four? That attributes can be perfected. <laughs> that we can take power and make it perfect, omnipotent. We can take knowledge and make it perfect, being omniscience. Everything can be perfected. And the spirit seems to be in that process here. Possessing all knowledge and glory and the same kingdom, sitting at the right hand of power. And here we have, again, that express image and likeness of the Father, a mediator for man, which, I mean, we have quite a few different points that Joseph Smith mentions this, but Christ only did what he saw his Father do. And here's one of those references, that our Father in heaven was the mediator <laughs> of his generation being filled, filled with the fullness of the mind of the Father, or in other words, the Spirit of the Father, which Spirit is shed forth upon all who believe on his name and keep his commandments. And all those who keep his commandments. So remember when we were talking about the laws earlier and uh, what, what that means? Uh, shed forth upon all who believe on his name and keep his commandments and all those who keep his commandments shall grow up from grace to grace and become heirs of the heavenly kingdom and joint heirs with Christ possessing the same mind. So we're not talking about Christ 
possessing the same mind as the father we're talking about us the ones that are going through this mortal probation we can also be joint heirs and receive the same mind being transformed into the same image or likeness even the express image of him who fills all in all being filled with the fullness of his glory and become one in him even as the father son and holy spirit are one so kind of the the last thing that i would uh, pull out here is at this last stanza when it transitions from okay the characteristics of god and christ but now we're talking about something different here keep track of the pronouns so who is his his talking about here so let's actually just kind of start here i'm just going to read this all again and keep track of pronouns so the son being filled with the fullness of the mind glory and power or in other words the spirit glory and power of the father possessing all knowledge and glory and the same kingdom sitting at the right hand of power in the express image and likeness of the father a mediator for man being filled with the fullness of the mind of the father or in other words the spirit of the father which spirit is shed forth upon all who believe on his name and keep his commandments all those who keep his commandments shall grow up from grace to grace and become heirs of the heavenly kingdom and join heirs with jesus christ possessing the same mind being transformed into the same image or likeness even the express image of him who fills all in all being filled with the fullness of his glory and become one in him even as the father son and holy spirit are one this his and him seems to be referring to the father that we keep his commandments and grow up from grace to grace versus let's take a look at the sacrament prayers and pay attention to pronouns here as well oh god the eternal father we ask thee in the name of thy son jesus christ to bless and sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who partake of it that they may eat in remembrance of the body of thy son and witness unto thee O god the eternal father that they are willing to take upon them the name of thy son and always remember him the him here is talking about the son and keep his commandments which he has given them that they may always have his spirit to be with them i think it's very interesting contrasting this and and like i said um before i could be totally wrong i mean i i'm all about being corrected right but it seems like that the point of lecture five is to point out that the seraphim level is possible in this life and christ shows us how to live that law of god which is be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect and that we can come unto him part the veil do all of that i mean take isaiah decoded take triumph of zion take our whole journey that we've done and why has the lord led us to to the lectures here at this time after having all of that it seems so complete to me and, and and very beautiful that um 
I don't know, I just kind of take a step back, look at Joseph Smith, uh, the prophet of the restoration, learning how to part the veil, see God, and teaching that to others so that they can be endowed with power from on high. And we go through the lectures first, second, and third, and fourth to lay a foundation so that we can hear in lecture five, it seems to cut and unpack and we pull everything apart and then put it all back together in its correct and perfect form so that we can truly know who God is, who his son is, and who the Holy Spirit is so that we can approach them, so that we can live their laws and, and receive of the fullness. I mean, it says it so many times, we receive of the fullness and we can become in the same express image as the Father. The whole purpose is to become one in them. Just as Christ fulfilled the pattern and became one with the Father, so we can. That's that's the whole purpose. And I don't know. I I kind of go back to my dream sometimes and I go, man, do I really get it? And uh, the Spirit always uh, references that, that one line in, in my dream. Your spirit gets it. And, and sometimes the body might have a hard time catching up, but, but you'll get there. And anyway, I, I love lecture fifth so much. And I think that it's um, such a, a powerful um, thing for us to, to really ponder and study throughout our lives. Um, just kind of summarizing the, the third verse here, just at the very end. Uh, it, it's always interesting how they start and end these lectures, but um, here it says, from the foregoing account of the Godhead, which is given in his revelations, the saints have a sure foundation laid for the exercise of faith unto life and salvation. Um, you know, there's a lot more. I encourage everybody to read that, but um, I don't know. It's just so powerful. Oh, yes, Leslie. Sorry, I didn't see your hand. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm wondering if, um, back to your dream about it's okay because your spirit can contain it all, but that our, our bodies struggle as we um, let ourselves die, let the natural man die, that will make room. That will either, that will probably both make our vessel larger and, and um, in, in ability and in volume, so to speak. And uh, I don't know if it can be done any other way. And I'm thinking not. Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking of trying to figure out when, as you're talking about where uh, Joseph Smith talks about how when, um, if, you won't accuse me. I won't accuse you. And I'll bring you into heaven as my back load. And I mean, we have a choice of how we want to navigate through this life, whether it be on a seraphim level or otherwise. Um, uh, he's still, he's teaching truth. He's teaching truth. And, um, I didn't get this much out of it when I read it. So. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely neither <not>. did i <laughs> like i studied it i think it was two weeks ago or whatever and i was like okay 
I know that this is my favorite and I, I get it, but do I really get it? And <laughs> Lord always comes back at the 11th hour, right? And it's like, okay, here's a download for you. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, like if I'm all wet in all of that, you know, I totally accept it. But like, there's certain things that really popped out to me. Um, I don't think you're all wet. I don't think so. Because the, the spirit's bearing witness of the truth of that. So in the midst of me going, <laughs> you know <laughs> some powerful principles in there and you know it, it as we'll talk about on on our final week or whatever the decanonization of the lectures and stuff there is no hard feelings towards those that that decanonize it i realize that it's for a wise purpose like this has to be learned as people are ready for it and if it was in our regular quad scriptures just getting mm -hmm. I don't know, just looked over, but but never studied or anything, that it has to come from a, a pure desire. And, and, you know, just in reference to our groups, not saying that our groups are all that in a bag of chips, but like the Lord has definitely led us. And I've had so many multiple witnesses of that. Study Abraham, the blessings of Abraham. There, That's the beginnings of the foundation. Chesed and all of the principles that we learned about there. And then you move to lecture to isaiah decoded then well we went to the literary message as well which i think was equally as powerful and then um the book of nelson or triumphal zion book of nelson like all of these things it's such a perfect pattern that leads into this i i was asking my mom after we had our aha moments and stuff yesterday with it and i was like would you have got this without abraham would you have got this without Isaiah's ladder would you have got this without President Nelson like no <laughs> like there's no wonder that I ever since I got this back in my mission or whatever till now that I've never really grasped the lectures on faith it's because I had a lot of misconceptions and a lot of different things that were that I had to unpack and then come put them back together Cameron, uh, thank you so much for meeting us and I have to say that um, I've been right, right step with, with the, um, the revelation of or the, how you describe that, like just, and even when you announced the um, topical guide, I was thinking that before you did that. So it's neat to have that confirmation. I mean, that's just so beautiful all the way through, like all the way through when we had talked about lectures on faith and, and you said, we're not yet. And then you brought these other things like I, it was the perfect timing. It was just so perfect. Mm -hmm. And tonight when you were teaching, oh my gosh, that was just like incredible. Thank you for sharing your notes and all the research you did on that and pulling that together. When I was reading it, I just kept thinking, Joseph Smith saw Heavenly Father and Jesus. And this is what he saw. I mean, I could just see what he saw. Yeah. Then um, towards the end when you were talking, it came to me, President Nelson and the proclamation on the restoration. Oh my heck, like I need to go read that tonight and study that again because it's just right in there in step with this. Yeah, I love that. It's such a confirming witness, right? That we are led by a true and living prophet. And we had one of the, the best prophets of all time uh, begin this restoration uh, with us and, and the jewels and precious things that he gave us um throughout his short life and president nelson and all the things that he has taught us to lead us through these last 
these last years oh my heck like I I am just so grateful like so grateful for Isaiah so grateful for Nephi so grateful for President Nelson pulling it together and helping us to see and then I, we're studying you know Isaiah I've been come follow me starting you know this week and that was always always a stumbling block like when I, yeah, I said before when I first read that I was like oh my heck why did Joseph Smith have to put all these Isaiah chapters in there could he figure out something else to put I mean that was the first time mm-hmm. I came to Jesus said to study the words of Isaiah I'm like all right how am I going to study these words I don't get this I don't get this I don't get this and then Isaiah Dakota and Abraham Gileadi opening up that door and I'm still learning like I still I still can't grasp it all but great path so grateful to be on the path Mm -hmm. and to see what's coming down the pike and to know that all these things have to happen i mean there's nothing i can do to stand up and jump around and make it stop i mean these things have been prophesied and they are happening they are happening these are president nelson said these are the last days these are and what an exciting time what an exciting time hold on to faith repent every day love the lord and listen and follow him Mm, i love it aren't you so excited for conference coming up too like (laughs) the power of spiritual momentum and now is the time and all these great talks and like where can we possibly go from there and anyway it's just an amazing time to be alive (laughs) (laughs) isn't this really letting god prevail yeah ultimately yeah, exactly. Really learning what that means. I mean, there's there's theory and then there's practice, right? Like letting God prevail. We started that with Abraham and, and how that really works and stuff. But then it's one thing to actually put it in into your own life and put it into practice and how painful it, it is. Like sometimes you want to shrink from it and you're just like, oh my goodness, am I really being led or am I just crazy? And Letting God prevail is, is such a beautiful process. It does bring joy, even when he has to chasten us, have decents curated for our benefit so that we can ascend and everything. Like the whole process is so powerful and beautiful. Like a God has to be in charge. <laughs> <of it. laughs> There's no way this could just all be happenstance. Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks for putting up with me tonight because I, I went full teacher mode. <laughs> no, I'm not. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, anyway, it, it'll be really interesting to see how all three groups, because they're all very different every time, right? We'll see what we got, but it might be a fun one to <laughs> watch all three of them back to back and kind of see what we got. But um, anyway, just like lectures three and four well and even five um uh, like laura was saying it leads so perfectly into the topical guide study for christ that that's coming up like it was amazing time at education week and just kind of the thoughts and promptings that were were coming in as i came back and dove in and made the calendar and just did it um but i tell you what so i mean not that i'm trying to extend this and keep you all night (laughs) but the flow of learning and revelation you know sometimes it just comes in like massive downloads and and really fast right but um 
it's just something that, that I would extend to you if you've got some some time or whatever. Lecture fifth combined with a study on the the attribute of advocate and the upcoming feast of trumpets is is a powerful combination. I, I tell you what. Um, so let's see what we've got. We got Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, coming up on um, September the sunset, September twenty fifth. So it's basically September twenty sixth and twenty seventh is the full days of of Rosh Hashanah. But lecture fifth, Feast of Trumpets, and a study of advocate is is a powerful combination it, it's been such a fun weekend i tell you I, there's just no way to summarize it in less than 10 hours so <laughs> if you have some free time <laughs> those are some fun ones that i'd recommend anyway final thoughts or or anything that you'd like to to do before we head out for the night so are you anticipating some big changes with these upcoming holidays yes well, I mean, like, you mean as far as uh, signs of the times and, you know, big things like that, or just like personally? Signs of the times and big uh -huh. Yeah. Um, not necessarily this year, but, um, but yes, like Christ uses the, his feasts and festivals, not our pagan feasts and festivals, but he uses his feasts and festivals to yeah, perform I'm on board with that. Totally on board with that. Yes. um and so every passover every feast of unleavened bread every feast of weeks every feast of trumpets yom kippur all of those he always does something miraculous um whether it be collective or individual the the spring feasts are usually individual except for passover and the fall feasts are, are usually a collective. Um, the Day of Atonement is usually um, a, a massive collective cleansing um, of, of things. So I don't know. Do I necessarily expect big signs of the times kind of happening this year? Maybe, but it, but it will be one of these falls for sure. Wasatch Wake Up, that's when it happens. This is also a big... Um year in the jewish it is a big year so i mean there definitely could be for sure yeah this is a big year big things happen in this year yeah yeah leslie um <clears throat> i don't know my jewish holidays very well but um i did at the time when this was going on so about i think it was last year um a friend of mine um, had a had a very very difficult marriage. She had a very very difficult husband, and um, over a long period of time. And I, uh, she and I were talking, and you know, I like ten years ago, I had said, you know, the difference in my marriage between the the ten years was unbelievable so just hang in there and then 10 years later she said uh it's not any better and or it's or if it's just marginally anyway so i um had started learning about um 
generational healing and praying for others um, on behalf of others. And so I asked permission if I could pray for her and her husband. And she said, yes. And so um, I did that and she gave me permission to talk to her husband. I don't know if that was question or not, but it, it, it worked. And uh, so it was about, I think an hour and a half of, of praying. And I, came back to her and I said, there is some, some in like her, his father's generational line, like a few generations up that needed some, I don't know. I, I told her I need more permission. I didn't know what I needed, but I told her that. And I said, will you pray with me that, that, that I, and so I went back through and I did the whole thing again. Um, wanted the whole thing you know I, I focused on that part and did that again and then I felt the Lord say that's that's sufficient and so um, 10 days later she calls me up no 11 days later and 10 days later she calls me up 11 days later and says you will not believe what happened last night and she told me that her husband they'd been married many years um apologized to her for everything and had been, he was his eyes were opened and he realized the error of his ways and did he do a, a 180 no but he did more than a 90 he did a big u-turn and has been so much better ever since that that happened on the day of atonement and is it Rosh Hashanah that's 10 days before that? What? Uh -huh, yeah, so there's Rosh Hashanah, which marks the beginning, and it culminates with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Yeah. That's what it was. The prayer, I didn't realize it that night. The Lord pointed it out to me later. The prayer was on, on Rosh Hashanah, and then his repentance was on, on Yom Kippur. And I thought, of all the days of the year, Heavenly Father that it that is not a coincidence at all and uh, uh it was very special so i'm a believer in that and i i know that we don't really talk about it in the church but it nonetheless was that could not have been a coincidence so mm -hmm. yeah uh, for sure yeah that's one thing that the lord's been really pushing me to finally get on like i mean he's been nudging me for quite a while but like about feasts and festivals and like helping other people know what they are how to incorporate them and and, and everything so uh, anyway I'm, I'm in the process of, of working with feast of trumpets right now and um creating a video on that and, and stuff but anyway it, it very powerful principles i love that but yeah anyway um anything else before we head out <laughs> sorry to keep you so long <laughs> sometimes i get really long-winded sorry All right. Well, have a great night, everyone. <laughs> we'll see y'all later next week. Thank for, you. Good night. Thank you. Oh,